The Passion of Our Lord Jesus Christ According to Matthew Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said, You say so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he did not answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many accusations they make against you? But he gave him no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the festival the governor was accustomed to release a prisoner for the crowd, anyone whom they wanted. At that time they had a notorious prisoner called Jesus Barabbas. So after they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he realized that it was out of jealousy that they had handed him over. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that innocent man. For today I have suffered a great deal because of a dream about him. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus killed. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what should I do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? All of them said, Let him be crucified. Then he asked, Why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he could do nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took some water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. Then the people as a whole answered, His blood be on us and on our children. So he released Barabbas for them, and after flogging Jesus, he handed him over to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole cohort around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And after twisting some thorns into a crown, they put it on his head. They put a reed in his right hand, and knelt before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! They spat on him, and took the reed and struck him on the head. After mocking him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they came upon a man from Cyrene named Simon. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink, mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his clothes among themselves by casting lots. Then they sat down there and kept watch over him. Over his head 
they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two bandits were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by derided him, shaking their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down from the cross now, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he wants to, for he said, I am God's son. The bandits who were crucified with him also taunted him in the same way. From noon on, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, and about three o'clock Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of the bystanders heard it, they said, This man is calling for Elijah. At once one of them ran and got a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put it on a stick, and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. Then Jesus cried again with a loud voice and breathed his last. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. After his resurrection, they came out of the tombs and entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now, when the centurion and those with him who were keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were terrified and said, Truly, this man was God's son. In today's short version of the Passion according to Matthew, we follow the last hours of Jesus of Nazareth. Throughout, he remains mostly silent and is no longer the agent, the main agent of what is happening to him. The Passion cruelly completes and firmly establishes God's sharing into the human experience. There is no suffering. God doesn't understand in God's very own human flesh and soul. For the moment, humanity is sharing the profoundly felt fragility and precarity of the human experience. This sharing has the potential to bring us closer to ourselves and closer together as one creation if we let it. The COVID-19 pandemic forcefully reminds us of several realities 
that we need to embrace to find our true selves. They are realities we prefer not to think about. And they are realities not so different from what affected Jesus in his passion. Yes, even the Son of God, the Redeemer, found out about these unpleasant but basic truths of life. The Franciscan theologian Richard Rohr says five realities need to be embraced to become fully human. In order to tame our ego and find the true self, we need to own the following statements. One, life is hard. Two, you are not important. Three, your life is not about you. Four, you are not in control. And five, you are going to die. You may feel your ego for the moment fighting against these truths, rebelling against them. I argue today that in his passion, Jesus of Nazareth came into owning more deeply these tenets of human experience. And in doing so, the Trinity deepened its compassion for God's creation. First, life is hard. As a Galilean peasant from a little village and a traveling healer and preacher, Jesus already knew this. Yet, in his passion, the hardness of life took on an intensity that made him know the deepest suffering of the human condition. Yes, life is hard. This is true for each one of us at any time. But many of us often have the privilege of not living with our nose on this truth. But nowadays, we feel it more keenly in the medical, social, emotional, and econ economic havoc this COVID-19 pandemic is wreaking on our world. And what's more, we all feel it together at the same time. Second, you are not important. I know, I know, you are thinking, you can't say that about our Lord and Savior. But I am asking you to look at Jesus' experience of his passion as the experience of a human being, not that of a self-assured God. The crowds, the priests, and the scribes the Roman authorities and soldiers were all making the human Jesus feel as scum. In that moment, it must have been difficult to hang on to the superior purpose of his life. Yes, you are not important. Yes, I am talking to you and me. At times, we can think and act as if we were the center of the universe, as individuals, or more often as a country. Now in our physical isolation and social distancing, our networks of work, ministerial, family, and friendly relationships are deeply disturbed. And yet, the world continues. Maybe we are not as indispensable as we'd like to think. We are a part of the whole indeed but the whole is resilient enough to function without my fretful busyness. 
Third, your life is not about you. This part Jesus seems to have known deep inside himself from a young age. His life was about God and about the all-embracing oneness of the divine. Jesus repeatedly escaped from honor and recognition while it was on offer. This life was not about boosting his ego. There was more to it than him alone. Yes, your life is not about you. My life and your life don't make sense without belonging to the whole of creation. Our life makes sense in relationship to God and one another. Our acquired capacities and knowledge, our unearned privileges, are not for our self-satisfaction. We have a duty to use them for the greater good. That is what all these amazing healthcare providers are doing for the moment. God bless them. Catastrophe is striking, and we discover how keenly we need each other. We are not self-sufficient. We are not the sole purpose of all our perceived reality. Fourth, you are not in control. Here is another truth which can be hard to apply to Jesus if we disregard his deep humanity. When you read Matthew's account of his passion, you cannot help but see that he does not take control. The Son of the Almighty experiences in a frightful manner what it means to be without privilege and power as a human being. <coughs> yes, you are not in control. We inhabit the illusion that we do have control on a widening number of spheres in our lives. Most of us spend much of our lives and energy building systems that enable us to exert dominating influence on our living conditions. Modern life has greatly enhanced our technical capacity to do that. I can flick the thermostat up and my room swiftly becomes warmer. But fate cannot yet be controlled from a cell phone app. And in a situation like the current pandemic, whole sides of our lives fall out of our perceived control. Finally, you are going to die. Jesus dies after crying, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The human Jesus on the cross did not seem to know about his coming resurrection. He had referred to eternal life in his ministry, but on the cross, Jesus experienced the complete finitude of human existence as we know it this side of death. Yes, you are going to die. Human knowledge and technologies have made tremendous prog progress in prolonging our lives. Two centuries ago, the average person was lucky to live into our 30s or 40s. Nowadays, we know lots of people who live reasonably comfortable lives well into their 80s. The temptation to forget that we are mortal and vulnerable is understandable, but ill-advised. 
human life finds heft and meaning in its finitude. Hurry to love because no one knows what tomorrow is made of. Hurry to love because that is the meaning of life. As the Apostle Paul puts it in the form of a hymn shared with the Philippians, he emptied himself taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Can we learn from Jesus's passion and from the COVID-19 pandemic to gauge the truth of our human experience? I think that this is one of the challenges of this Holy Week we are entering and of this pandemic we are in. On the other end of these time periods, we will hopefully emerge more fully ourselves than we knew before. May you have a blessed Holy Week. May God keep you and preserve you. Amen.